Welcome to the Intentionist Podcast, where we explore the interplay between intuition, spiritual health, and everything in between. I'm your host, Amy Schreiber. And I'm Hilary Zwallen. Our intention is to create a dialogue that inspires you to consciously forge your path with curiosity and compassion for life and its mysteries. So today we are talking, it's episode 45, we're talking the dark night of the soul and the ins and outs of spiritual awakenings. So you're having a spiritual awakening and you might be caught between states of bliss and enlightened understanding as well as, you know, torturous pain and the feel of turning, of being turned inside out and upside down. You know, maybe you've just experienced tragedy, a, you know, a big life, big shift, you're recovering from trauma, or maybe you're searching for greater, deeper meaning that you found on a new spiritual path that really lights you up. Often th- this part is when we think we found the, the truth with a capital T, like we like to refer to that as. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about how to weather the dark night, release the suffering and embrace the new practice or space that you're in. Yes. And before we dive into that, we just wanted to mention that we just released our first newsletter. So we would encourage all of you listeners to get on our website and subscribe to that. It's going to be fun. We will have a monthly newsletter and it'll be a good way to kind of put all of all of our things for the from the previous month and the upcoming month into one tidy little container. So subscribe. Please, Please do. So how this applies for our theme this month, we've been talking about the hanged man and Capricorn energy. And the hanged man really is about elevation changes, gravitational changes that are basically, I think, typified in spiritual awakenings. Wouldn't you say, Amy? Yes. Yes. Super high highs, really low lows, often requiring us to let go of things that are really, that we really don't want to maybe, or it's requiring us to set out on a path like Odysseus. And, um, and what's going on right now, astrologically, at least today, is this day of the super blood wolf moon eclipse. And I feel like mm-hmm. it's been giving me my own special two to three day spread of a dark night of the soul. This has just been a resurrection of all of my personal doubts and guilts and awakening to these old wounds that I feel like, you know, I've worked, you know, that I've been working on forever. I've been feeling kind of tired and hopeless. And I don't know, it's also, it's also coinciding with the wise and wild woman phase of my menstrual cycle, which would we also could refer to as PMS or for me, it's PMDD, which I've talked about obviously before, but it's also been giving me loads of insight and the desire to write and shed has been like a really big point of this time. So I plan on doing that tonight for the full moon. And this one really feels more internal where usually my focus on writing is all about creating. This one really feels like I need to just write out what I feel disturbed about or what I feel is causing me suffering. So I've been drinking cacao, Mm -hmm. which has pulled me out of the darkness long enough to realize that, oh, this is what this is. It's this, there's this cosmic stuff going on. It's also a time that uh, this is what's being asked to to be dealt with. And so I got Mm -hmm. a massage last night. I'm feeling like it's helping me to move the stuck energy through. So Amy, your turn. How is the moon (laughs) affecting you? And, or is it at all? Because I like to bring this up at the beginning of a spiritual awakening conversation, because I feel like four years ago, I had no reference point at all to lunar cycles, how that may or may not be affecting me. I just wasn't, it wasn't even in my orbit for a pun, in, mm-hmm. no, for a pun intended, I guess. So, <laughs> so what do you think? Has this ever 
Have you ever noticed the eclipse affecting your life? And has this one been bugging you at all? No, this one's been pretty mild. I feel pretty, I mean, aside from feeling like I just want to go in my little room and do yoga all day, that's that's pretty normal though. <laughs> like that, that sounds delightful all the time to me. But yeah, as far, I mean, I didn't sleep great last night. And we'll see what, because it actually happens tonight, right? Is like the day. And I so find I start to notice the energy. It's a few days before it starts to percolate. And then it kind of, it kind really? of lasts. Yeah. And sometimes it will last the day after, but there's usually for me, at least most recently with the big full moons and the eclipses, especially there's like, it's almost like a release, like a, it, it's literally like the feeling that I get when I start my period where it's like, Oh, yeah. thank heavens. It started. I can stop being so, you know, feel feeling so hormonal. You know, it's like that for me. So, I mean, it does feel like the culmination of kind of this new chapter in our lives where we just moved back up to Washington and we're kind of settling in. And it does kind of feel like that's that phase of like reintroducing ourselves to this area and in this new space is kind of reaching a, a peak. So, yeah. I'm always curious to hear from people about this because I, I think, am I just crazy or is this actually a collective thing happening or is it just my stuff? And I don't know that we ever fully know the answers, but it's fun when I talk to other women who are paying attention to things like the lunar cycle and how it affects them when people are speaking introspectively, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's pretty interesting to, to see that. And then I wonder, am I creating it? Because I now know that there's this full moon coming. And so, uh, you know, I'm creating this reality where there's that going on, right. but I don't have the answers. I am just living through the process here. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Well, for me too, it's more like I see, okay, the full moon is tonight. So I'm going to design a little ritual for myself. I usually try to do a new intention with the new moons. It's been a good little guy. Uh, I'm going to Instagram the ritual I'm going to do tonight. So, and I may put it in the story highlights because when this actually is released, it will be a week from now, <laughs> but you people can use it for any, any part of the moon cycle that they want to. So I'm going to, I'm planning on yeah. doing the same. Right. So let's, let's talk before what are we meaning when we talk about spiritual awakenings for this episode? I really like the way this author, Steve Taylor, describes spiritual awakenings in a book he wrote called The Leap. It's the psychology of spiritual awakening. And he explains it as it's the undoing of the pathology of separateness and duality and regaining the sense of connection and harmony. And he he differentiates between there's there's temporary experiences of awakening and then there's like permanent fundamental shifts which like there's a wide spectrum of this stuff and they can result from all sorts of things from trauma to the gradual awakening from like a slow and steady spiritual discipline or practice to psychedelic drug experiences. So there's all there's all sorts of things on this spectrum. And I thought it was really helpful to see what is a spiritual awakening called? How is this described in the different mystical traditions around the world? Because you hear about like enlightenment, you hear about all these, these different things, but they're, they're all basically different names for the same thing. So in Buddhism, it's called Bodhi, or in, that's translated as enlightenment or awakening. And then in Hinduism, which like 
the yoga traditions derive from there. It's called Samadhi or Satchidananda. And Ming is the name for it in Taoism. And Sof is the name for it in Kabbalah, the Jewish mystical system. And that's union with the divine. And then it's called deification in Christianity and Baka in the Islamic tradition. So it's all the same thing. And the, the characteristics in common with these traditions are that union with the spiritual essence of the universe, inner stillness, self-sufficiency and spiritual wholeness, as in you're not trying to like add or grasp for mm -hmm. things because you're already whole inside. And then a high degree of compassion and altruism. And then this feeling of the sense of relinquishing mm -hmm. personal agency. So the, the sense that divine will or the Tao or however you're calling it is expressing itself through you. And basically just a state of intense inner well-being, which is arrived at through states of intense not well-being sometimes. So that's what we're going to get into more, but... <laughs> Which brings us to the yes. dark night. Yes. So we've heard this term. I, I'm assuming most people have heard this term, the dark night of the soul. I'm going to start with this quote that I got from this book right here called the dark nights of the, or dark nights of the soul, a guide to finding your way through life's ordeals by Thomas More. A dark night is like Dante getting sleepy, wandering from his path, mindlessly slipping into a cave. It is like Alice looking into the mirror and then going through it. It is like Odysseus being tossed by the stormy waves and Tristan adrift without an oar. You don't choose a dark night for yourself. It is given to you. And your job is to get close to it and sift it for its gold. Guys. And I loved that imagery of getting close, of sifting it for its gold, because really we all experience suffer suffering. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes this deep suffering is a precursor to a spiritual awakening. And, you know, like you put, put, uh, you differentiate it in front that there's there's almost like this long term spectrum of spiritual awakening as if we are moving toward enlightenment, becoming these enlightened beings, depending on what faith tradition you come from. But really, even in just, you know, just in, in, in real time, finding the gratitude and finding the way finding our way through the, the times when we are experiencing the most grief, the most confusion, the most suffering, the times where we are most alone. Right. So dark nights, spiritual awakenings come, they come as unintentional rites of passage. So we may go looking for God because we're told we should by our religious institutions or by our pious aunt, but there's nothing like suddenly falling off the proverbial cliff or, you know, getting the tower card and tarot as we were talking about earlier this week, mm -hmm. that is, that calls, um, a yearning to God from the person in suffering more really. And by God, I, I mean, the universe, the whatever yeah. your spiritual path, your higher self. Yeah, I love that. Eckhart Tolle said something great that I read the other day. He said that challenges are the lifeblood of evolution. And so, yeah, the question is never to ask life, like, how, like, make me happy. It's like, make me wake up. You know, it's like you, like, the yeah. goal is awareness, not so much just this static happiness, you know, it's like, or, yeah, like the blissful ignorance, like, is that right. really happiness? I don't know. I don't know. Right. So why is the magical enlightenment so often fraught with the accompanying pain and depression? And I, as I was thinking about this last night, 
preparing my notes for today, what kept coming to mind was this process of shedding and that, you know, shedding to gain greater understanding required to, I'm going to use all these new agey cliches, but like widen the container to make space Hmm. and let go. (laughs) And, um, but, but here's what that means really. So sometimes we're drawn into a deeper understanding because we're sick or our body develops an illness and we're forced to confront situations in our life differently. We're, We're forced to go, whatever was happening before, uh, now I'm now I'm here and I'm in this painful experience of, of sickness or suffering or grief or wherever. And so now I have to, there's, there's adjustments that are going to be made that need to be made. And we're forced to move out into the wilderness of the unknown and we are looking for help to cope. And in the Bible, they talk about, it's kind of illustrated by the many stories of people being punished and then finally turning back to God, which I don't particularly love the imagery of the, and interpretation associated of like sin and suffering to like bring someone to God. I don't like that viewpoint, but in Incan shamanism, they talk about whenever I've done sessions with clients, there's a a sacred space prayer that I do. And we open with the four directions. We call on the, the spirit of the four directions and the archetypes and the spirit of the South or the archetype of the South is serpent. And in that language, we ask serpent to show us how to shed our skin in one motion as he does and how to move belly to belly with the mother in harmony with the heartbeat of the earth. And this imagery shows us as the pain and the grief and the growth is ready to happen, beliefs, feelings, and heartache might bubble up as if we're asked to peel it off so that we have the room to grow. And do you know what happens when a snake shed or when a snake sheds its skin? Tell me. So, so it's nearly dead. It doesn't eat. It slithers into a safe, sheltered location to do its work. And if the snake doesn't shed its skin in one motion, the leftover skin can cause infection, suffocation, and can lead to death. It doesn't always, but it can. Its eyes wow. glaze over when it sheds, and it looks milky. And the shamans and the mystics would say that this is the ability of the snake to move. This is a quote from Ted Andrews to move between the realms of the living and the dead of crossing over from life to death and then back to life again. So it's the symbol of death and rebirth. Yes. And religious sources argue over whether it was a symbol of like the higher worlds or the lower worlds. Um, Many native American traditions. And this is another quote from Ted Andrews say that the snake is a symbol of transformation and healing that snake ceremonies involved learning to transmute the poisons within the body after being bitten by a poisonous animal and it activated the energy within to of kill or cure in greece the snake was a symbol of alchemy and healing and and that symbol that we see of the intertwined serpents but the the god hermes carried a snap a staff with the intertwined snakes and that has actually morphed into the primary symbol that we use and we see in modern medicine at hospitals and a lot of like formal doctors institutions and and uh, offices that you, Mm. you visit In Eastern traditions, it's a symbol of the sexual creative life force within us, like you've heard of the word kundalini, and it's associated with a higher wisdom that comes with the passing of time. So we learn that this process of shedding can happen all at once by the serpent if we are willing and if we don't resist, which goes back to what your, your point was at the very beginning, where I think you shared that quote. What was it that you said? You're, you're letting go of this, this pathology of separation in exchange for like this union. But what, where the difficulty comes with that is that our little ego personality is, and our lives in our modern society are designed for distraction and separation and not for like 
union with source or God or whatever you want to call it. And so this personality, this ego mind has such ultimate resistance to to evolving, to like disidentifying with it, because that signals to itself that like that's mm. death, that's annihilation. So it's actively involved in preserving itself through um, all sorts of mental gymnastics and insanity and so that's where like that's where the confusion and the depression and all the things that happen while we're trying to evolve and grow come it's it's this resistance to union when really like you just said it can happen all at once it's as simple as a tiny little choice to shed to let it all go at once i mean easier said than done obviously right (laughs) right well and the point too that they you know i was going through my old shamanic training papers i was reading um some other books that i've that i have and then i was looking online just kind of i was looking for actual facts about snakes and yeah they were talking about how there is you know the new skin is growing underneath simultaneously before the, Mm -hmm. the big one sheds and that it is uncomfortable and like it can take up to two weeks Mm. for a snake to get to right where it needs to go and get ready and burrow in and and make sure it's in a safe place where it can actually do what it needs to do and so it isn't like oh Mm. there it is it's coming up I'm just gonna let that go like sometimes we can do that but sometimes it's like again and again and again it's like the referencing that I was early in the episode of just even just this eclipse that I, I had the greatest week I was so productive this week and I was so I was like feeling great. And then I just out of nowhere, all this, all the old stuff that was kind of plaguing me before beliefs about, am I doing this right? You know, um, all the, it's, it's all the programming that I feel like I've been shedding for so many years was kind Uh of creeping in and it, and it's discouraging because you're like, I thought I got rid of that crap. Why is it here? And I noticed that you know, what I, all I needed to do was just write it. Just, just, it's, it's just another layer of that just coming out and I'm able to work through it faster now because I've learned these tools. So that is going to segue into a few things to note about spiritual awakenings. So the first one I wanted to to point out was you can feel highly intuitive suddenly, like maybe out of nowhere. So I wanted to Mm -hmm. refer to our episodes. We did, was it three or four episodes on intuitive development? Early on, it was like episode two through five or something where we talk about what Uh kind of clairvoyant or what kind of clair you are, whether you're clear seeing, clear hearing, clear sensing, clear knowing. So oftentimes when you're beginning to move into a place of spiritual awakening, you will notice that those senses or maybe just one of those senses, the volume will feel turned up Mm -hmm. and you'll be having experiences, dreams, maybe inner knowings that feel accelerated and feel that feels like they're coming more frequently and sometimes out of the blue. Would you agree? Right. Yeah, totally. And it's, and it's often weird to our normal state stuff that makes you question like, okay, am I going crazy or am I having spiritual experiences? I mean, like the line is very thin right there. And I think that the book that I was reading earlier today made an important distinction. Our experience of spiritual awakening are often confused for psychosis. And there is psych- like psychosis does happen. So it's so that's it's why like having <laughs> Yeah. That's why having a support system and like a container for this stuff becomes really valuable, I think, because it gives you a framework and a support of other people people to work with when you are questioning your own 
sanity at to times. that point, And I'm so glad you brought that up because I didn't even think to put that in my notes here. I had listened to, I think it was, I think it's Energetic Anatomy by Carolyn Mace. It was a book on Audible mm-hmm. a long time ago, but I remember her talking about the monastic system, that there is a framework. She was referencing that, you know, these monks would go away and they would be living in a monastery and they were working towards enlightenment and service and, and worshiping God. And they were in a physical container called a monastery. <laughs> they were mm-hmm. in designated spaces. They were with people who have experienced these things before. And it was still the dark night of the soul. And they, they but they had people who were in these systems that were there to support. Now you have, you're like vacuuming your floor and you're like, you know, listening to a podcast or something and having some experience and like, what do I do with this now? (laughs) And so I like that you bring it up because there really is a feeling of like, am I thinking, am I feeling this? Is this really happening? There's like this element of of disbelief. There's an element of like, where is the line between having faith and understanding? Like, is this coming from a higher source? Is this like my brain losing it? Like what's going on? (laughs) Right. Well, especially in this global economy of ideas where you have these technologies really for awakening, like meditation and yoga and other things. When you have these things divorced from their container of full systems, that's where I think like as much as I'm all for taking what works from you from these different things and exploring and experimenting, just know that when you take a uh, practice out of context of its wider community mm. of resources and belief systems, there is the, the danger that you're left flailing and not knowing like how it fits and without that support and the framework of the, the wider system. Such a good so. point. This, is, this was a question I had for my shamanic teacher, Danielle, early on where I was like, so what is the point of like the lineage, because she kept referring to the lineage. And I was like, just trying to understand, you know, because at the time, Mm -hmm. especially going into the, this shamanic training, I was like, very much opposed to all like organized forces, because I was leaving Mormonism. And I was like, I don't trust anything. But her point was that there is something about being held in a lineage. She talked about it as calling on the grandmothers and the grandfathers and the medicine that had been practiced for centuries and millennia, and creating that container of context that mm-hmm. as you walk into, into these higher realms that you are held. And I liked that imagery. I thought that really made a lot of sense to me. And it was also, it also makes a lot of sense as to why, you know, there is something great. And I'm the most spiritually eclectic person. Like I'm all for spiritually being spiritually eclectic, but there is something really powerful about learning something as fully as you can and understanding it. So, and then deciding what you're going to leave or take, (laughs) because there's something about getting the the full picture that makes a lot of sense. Right. Well, and going deep, like the idea that you can't really go super deep with certain ideas unless you're like all in for a time, you know, I think that it's, yeah, it's an important concept, but anyways, back to our spiritual awakening. What else? So you might feel compelled to change everything in your life. Like you may have a dream or you may, you may feel yourself, you may just realize that like everything in your life feels meaningless or empty. And you're like, I'm looking for purpose elsewhere. And I don't know what that is. You know, you're, you're waking up that maybe you married the wrong person, or maybe you're, you're in a, in an abusive relationship that you were willing to tolerate. And now you're not, 
you know, it can be, Mm -hmm. it can be a host of things, but it can look like you're ready to change everything in your life. It feels like it. Yeah. Career Career changes, changes, location changes. That's very common. I think among people experiencing these things because they're old, again, their old framework that they had, way they designed their life is not supportive of the new paradigm in their mind. So, and you might also notice that you're more physically sensitive. Sounds are louder. Tastes are more sensitive. You may feel tired or mentally foggy as you process what's happening energetically. This has totally been my experience over the last few years. Just, I'm still kind of figuring out how to practice proper energetic boundaries for various situations, especially now that I work sometimes in mm-hmm. energy healing. And so there's always an element of, you know, this is where the earth-based tools are helpful, like grounding practices with crystals or walking out into the yard and putting your feet in the, in the soil and, and having, having those almost ritualistic experiences that help to ground you and bring you back into the present moment so that you know, you know, I can't listen to like super loud music anymore. I have to go like for this time. It doesn't mean it's going to be this way forever. It's just sometimes as you are quote unquote, widening the container, as we (laughs) referenced before, that part of that shedding process, you're just like that snake who is now that you've shed the skin has very tender new skin and cannot just go straight into Mm. devouring a mouse has to maybe wait a couple of days and let the skin get thicker and more protective before you go walking back out into the world. So there's an element of being, of using your awareness with whatever is happening physically. And it may, that may not even happen for you. And you may still be feeling like you're having a spiritual awakening, but if that is part of it, it's, it's noticing, it may be a call to eat healthier or eat more vegetables or drink more water or stay, you know, this is a, this is a big call for major self-care, like really looking at getting serious about your self-care practices. The other one Mm -hmm. is, um, the emotional symptoms. There is a yo-yo of enlightening of enlightenment and suffering. And we've kind of gone over that already, but you're going to feel high highs and low lows. And some days those, those moments of feeling very connected and very at peace and very clear, you know, maybe you've just started a meditation practice and you're just amazed at what you're gleaning from it, or you started doing yoga or you started doing art and whatever it is, or you're having dreams or whatever it is that's happening. And these things are mm-hmm. juxtaposed with like other things falling apart in your life or, or just even just that feeling of, of, right. you know, depression, you know, and I'm, and I'm talking, I'm not talking mm-hmm. about clinical depression. Cause I want to acknowledge that that is something that happens. I'm talking about the depression we all get. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's super common. The, the thing you touched on, you feel really clear one day and then the next day you are swimming in confusion. And I think this confusion is what mm-hmm. gets so discouraging for people. And it, again, it goes back to like this new, this new thing in my mind and in my being doesn't fit in my old framework. And so where do I go now? You know, and that's where I think people become really, really vulnerable to cult leaders right. and stuff at this time. So really important to, to be aware. And like, as you're seeking guidance, as you're seeking for new ways to integrate the, the new experience and the new ideas, the confusion is normal and it can be helped with the right support system. And it can be 
exploited by the wrong one. Yeah, use your discernment as best you can. And this actually brings me to me to another serpent point. I know I keep going back to the snake, but um, it's a great metaphor. I was I will that you know they were the I was reading in this uh, animal speak book and we, my kids and I have been watching planet earth too and the blue planet and all this. So I feel like animals are just like everywhere for me right now, but the reptiles, because they are so they're environmentally sensitive. Like they have to have the sun Mm -hmm. in order to live. Like they have to lay on the warm rock. And if it's cold, they have to burrow down deep. They can't regulate their body temperature. And so they are, they are sensitive to their environments. And so that can help us to, we can help to remember that as we are opening up, as we are shedding, that we have to be, we need to be aware of our environments that we're in and who is in our environment, mm-hmm. to your point, and who are we allowing our focus to be on and using that discernment. So the next one is Kundalini rising. So this can be rather dramatic. The Shakti energy rises up from in, in our Shashumna, which is it's, it's what the yogis would say goes along our chakra system right along the starts in the base of your spine and goes up through the crown. So if you're practicing yoga, meditation, chanting, it can physically awaken and enliven your energetic chakra system. And here's the other thing I've always thought, I've always been a little timid about the reality of the energy field. And I've referred to it often as something that I think is real, but I can, you know, like, even if you just use it symbolically, kind of couch it in that. But then I realized this week, as I was looking at my (laughs) insurance, I was like, oh, what does my health insurance cover? That it covers freaking acupuncture. Like it's it's a like <laughs> Chinese medicine, energy field stuff. It's like, yeah. So anyway, side note. So anyway, in Kundalini Rising, the energetic sensations, it can feel like electricity in the body or like internal lightning bolts. It can also literally be, it can cause shaking or jerking in the body and can be out of control. And it can feel like there's insects or snakes on your body or along the spine. This is what they call Kundalini syndrome, which is symptoms resulting from either like a near-death experience or intense trauma or prolonged meditation, nervous breakdowns. So there's there's like a little element of like, be careful, like try don't go like a speeding freight train to try to waken your Kundalini. This is a gent, you know, maybe approach it in a gentle way. And if you feel like it happens all at once, sometimes it's it's out of your control. There are cases where it's been, where it's out of your control and the Kundalini rises and you have to deal with it. But when I was getting my shamanic training and there were certain times where I was like, it just feels like a lot, like a lot of shedding almost too much. Like it's, it's too much right now. I, it's going too fast. Mm-hmm. And she would say, well, you just need to ask the universe, your guides, yourself to do this at a pace that agrees with your body to open up at a pace that is in line spiritually with what your capacity is in this moment. And to that point too, as far as sudden awakenings, there's psychedelic drugs that cause people to have these intense, intense spiritual experiences. And I think the majority of meditation teachers that I've heard talk about this matter, because it's like, why doesn't everyone just take a handful of mushrooms instead of meditate for 50 years and reach the same kind of experience? And what I've heard a lot of people say about that is that the psychedelic experience of awakening is less likely to stick because you don't have this container that has been prepared, Mm. you know, as like the preparation of a long meditation practice. You have this container, you have the support of a teacher sometimes. And also there's psychedelic experiences like that are undergone with the help of a guide, with the help of like a ayahuasca shaman and and things of that nature. 
But apart from that, like, I don't know the answers to this because I'm also like something powerful often needs to shake us from the suboptimal mental landscape we're living in. That's why when like trauma happens, it throws you out of out of the system so that you have a chance to grow. Like like some people need that intense removal of normal reality, which is what drugs can provide in some cases. And then they can also numb it. Well, yeah, depending. <laughs> There's like the flip side where it can be. Depending on the drug. Yeah. But yeah, in general, I've, I've heard meditation teachers preach caution around psychedelic, like using psychedelics, at least using them like solely without a meditation practice, without a spiritual container. Makes sense. Yes. And because as we open up, we can awaken the past trauma that needs to bubble up and be released. And this process can be super challenging. And so this is where, like you said, you have a meditation practice, so you practice self-care and forgiveness. You can also ask your own body, your whatever your belief system is on, on whether you, you believe in guides or angels or your spiritual master of Jesus or um, any other deity that you connect with to bring change in a way that is manageable. And so that's where kind of those daily affirmations come in and, and they're very helpful as mantras to say, you know, I am growing and changing at a pace that I can manage. I am opening my heart to things that are, that are coming in time in the right time and way, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, another quote from Thomas More: depression may stand in for real sadness and despair. Des depression is a strong emotion, but at, but a dark night is a slow transformation fueled by the deep issues at work, defining the very meaning of your life. So he talks about the requirement of deep thought on our part and not just emotion. <laughs> he kind of generalized. So he's a therapist and he would say that people typically in his practice were either in therapy because they have rigid opinions and frameworks from their religious upbringing or because they had, they had none and were just kind of lost at sea. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of brought up the point of, of finding a middle ground where we can have that connection and have that container of that practice that can help us to, to ground and center as we move through our growth patterns in life and, um, and, and keep that open mind. Yeah. Back to like the idea of the dark night of the soul. I think that that term comes from the Spanish mystic, St. John of the Cross. Is that true or is it earlier than That's him? That's right. So he wrote... No, I think it was him. Yeah. So he wrote, because I was looking into this, he wrote this poem called The Dark Night of the Soul. I mean, it's originally in Spanish, so the it's been translated into English. But I was <laughs> I was under the impression that the this whole idea of the dark night that he was talking about was much more in line with like oh, the darkness of exile and pain before the ultimate sweet union with God. But it wasn't, it wasn't so much that at all. It was more after reading the poem, it was about the fact that the truth and God and the greatest light is found in this like deep, personal, unknown, hidden, secret place. It was him like going into the darkness of his own being, like dark as in it's, it's unknown and it's been hidden from him. Not that not dark, like he's in despair, but it was like a, it was like a celebration poem. It was like very celebratory. It was very like, it was much more like, like the song of Solomon type stuff versus I was, I had always imagined it before I read it, that it was this, this horrible, like despair of God, why has thou forsaken me type thing? But it, but it wasn't at all. I thought that was interesting. 
Yeah, I think that's a distinctly Christian, like in the evolution of of Christian mystical enlightenment. That's a like the dark night as far as like being forsaken by God. So you are like purging and purifying yourself before the union is like is a common theme that people like Mother Teresa have talked mm. about. And um yeah, anyway, I thought that was interesting. Very interesting. And I like that you brought up the points already about um the psychedelics. I just wanted to to make one more point, like you said, and there was a book that I finished this last week called uh, How to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence. A uh, very interesting read about the debate over the mystical experience and the psychology of, of what causes it, of what is it like in an assisted way, how it can, how it, they're finding that there's a lot of research about how it's really helping people with, uh, who struggle with addiction to rewire their brain. And also for people who are suffering with mm -hmm. cancer to become more comfortable with their diagnosis, to be more comfortable, to lose their fear of dying. And there's a lot of research being done. And I think there's a lobby kind of going on to try to get some of these drugs so that they're not as illegal because they're only, there's these research centers are doing them, I think, very, um, it's in a very limited way because being, because yeah. they're illegal, right? So they're, they've got some sort of, you know, right. permission to do it. But then there's also people that kind of do it underground, what Michael Pollan says. So interesting read. If you're interested in that, if that's calling to you, I listened to it on Audible and it was, he's a great reader. Yeah. As far as like the physiology of the, the spiritual experience, I think like if you want to get into the neuroscience of it, I think it all has to do with DMT, the molecule that is released by the brain. I think they say mm -hmm. in the pineal gland, and um, and that's like the the ingredient in in LSD. And there's actual like there's just straight DMT. That's like the fastest acting hallucinogenic drug that can be taken. But I was reading in this book, it's DMT, the spirit molecule. Let me see what the Rick Strassman. Anyways, but he was talking about that DMT is released during really traumatic mm. experiences like birth. It's released in the brain in huge amounts by mothers and by um, babies, too, when they're born, because oh. it's traumatizing for the baby, too, to be, like, squeezed out. And so, but it made me think, like, oh, is, like, medicating our births? Like, I had an epidural. <laughs> it was an amazing birth I experience. Did I, I didn't feel a thing. But I'm thinking, like, wow, like, maybe this this stuff has a purpose. And he was saying that there were studies done on, I'm going to mess this up, I don't remember the specifics, but it, they were doing some sort of measure in people who were delivered normally, like vaginally versus people who were delivered by C-section. And the C-section ones were less able to, I don't know if they were, it was measures of surrender or measures of, I don't know, some sort of thing. But they, this guy was, was guessing that it had to do with the DMT release was not as big as it was designed to be in the beginning. Mm. So anyway, super interesting stuff. We're going to be interviewing someone, right? Yes, soon. Who knows a lot more about uh -huh. psychedelics than we do? Yes, very soon. So the, the other thing I wanted to point out before we go in through a few tips on like how to cope when you're going through this is that real, you know, real magical and miraculous things can and do happen. And because of our spiritual experiences are often hard to put into words, there is a danger during this time of heightened intuition and heightened sensitivity and 
um, you know, feeling these kind of elevated highs and lower lows that to kind of prop ourselves up as chosen. (laughs) I think it's a fertile ground. Like you mentioned earlier about being careful who to trust, but it's also like, check yourself before you wreck yourself in terms of like, I think people can, can take on their own mantle of like, I, like the ego can sneak in and be like, I'm very special now. I'm more enlightened than you. And I, I mean, I've seen this a lot in, you know, new agey, like that's kind of the shadow piece that you see among, like, I like to call them the quote unquote evil gurus. And I don't think that all, all teachers and all people that are quote unquote gurus right. are that way, but there are the few who you meet and you're just like, Oh, there's a lot of ego there. And I'm not, it's not really resonating with me, but for some reason that person is really connecting with like hundreds of people or, you know? Um, so Anyway, I would guess that most people do weird cult-like things, or most of the people that do the weird cult-like things start off thinking that they were called to do so by God. (laughs) So this is the point where it's just ask yourself as you're getting these enlightened experiences and thoughts, you know, write it out, ground yourself, recognize that if you're feeling called to like radically change your life, like ground yourself before you make all the radical changes, like, you know, make sure that it's what you want to do. Sometimes we don't have those choices, whether it's an event, an an external event that happened to us, um, like a death or a a tragedy or, you know, whatever it is. But the point being that, you know, confusion can be natural. um, And when you have an experience that destabilizes your current reality, you know, it can set things up for psychotic behavior. (laughs) Yeah, all things to think about. we, we We reject that. What are like practical things that we can share about how to deal with the upheaval that we haven't talked about already? Is there anything else that you can think yeah, of? Yeah, so I found an article on Huffington Post by a man named Bruce Davis. And he talked about, how, you know, the ways to meet the challenges of depression after a spiritual awakening. And he talked about having that the first cornerstone is to consciously choose joy daily, simple joy, simple, fun joy. And I've been practicing this myself and I've really found, it's kind of like that. What is that uh, book about the Huga, like the way that the Danish live? Oh yeah. yeah. Everyone. Right. Is that how you say it? I've been trying. Tell me how you say it. I think it's called Huga. I think it's called, pronounced Huga. I could be wrong. H-Y-G-G-E. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's how my college friends are always talking about it. So we refer to it literally daily. We're like, just who going here with my, <laughs> you know, warm drink by the fire, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really just, especially as a mother with kids that are getting a lot busier and bigger and just schedules are crazy. It's taking like those little moments and like enjoying lighting the candle and sniffing the scent and creating a little, you know, like really relishing in those small things in life and choosing joy in the simple joy of the moment, which even, I think even in the face of, of like the bitterest reality, we can stop. And it's really practicing that loving kindness and that mindfulness that they talk a lot about in Buddhism, where you, you notice the birds in the window and you, you just take a breath and you, you recognize what that's going on. You know, you taste your tea, you, you do things that are nice for yourself. And it doesn't have to mean that you go buy a whole new wardrobe or you spend a bunch of money. It can be something as simple as I'm just going to take a walk and I'm going to, to breathe deeply and I'm going to feel the way that my body feels right now and re- be recognizing, like recognize those moments. It's choosing joy. It's nourishing our life. So then the other thing he says was, is to create a meaningful spiritual practice. 
And so for some people that might look like I go to church every Sunday and other people that might mean that they meditate every day or they go to yoga three times a week or they, they write in their journal, they say their prayers at night or in the morning or they, whatever they do, whatever the spiritual mm -hmm. practices, but that you have something that is a consistent tether in your life, that there's real value in having the spiritual practice. The other thing he says is to find a loving community. And I think that is the hardest part when you're going through a spiritual awakening, because oftentimes your friendships kind of fall away. Not all of your friendships do, but when you say, I feel like when I was going through my stuff, it was like, I felt more alone than ever before in my life. And it was, you know, some of it was self-imposed, but I feel like I've really made an effort in the last couple of years to deepen my friendships with, mm -hmm. with certain people. And I'm in a place now where I feel like I can say that I have a loving community, but there was a time where it was like, who is going to understand what I'm going through? Who is like, all you want to do is talk about spiritual things. Like here we are having a podcast because of that. Right. <laughs> that's like, by far the most difficult thing. Like for me, especially when you're like in this period of upheaval and leaving something behind, like something as big as a all encompassing religion that like your whole family, your friends are involved in that is that the community was the biggest issue and loss and finding some place where you could relate to. I mean, that's why, that's why we're friends right now, because like <laughs> you were my person during that time. Right. And, that um, yes. Yeah. No, I know. And then going to places where whether it's a yoga studio or a gardening club or a community service organization or whatever, but finding that community is a really big part of stabilizing yourself through that spiritual awakening. Right. And to that point too, like one of the biggest things, like one of my biggest sadnesses during the time when I felt isolated and I felt alone was that I felt like I was having this amazing experience to be celebrated. Like, oh, I'm learning new things. I feel my brain expanding. Like this is something I wanted to celebrate it with people. But the people in my community, it was like a point of despair for everyone else. Right. It was a point of like, oh no, she's she's losing her faith. She's she's going down this dark and terrible path. And like mm -hmm. and so like finding a community that will help like support and celebrate with you, especially during a time where like you're experiencing loss as well. Like, I think that that is one of the, I mean, again, that was where like you came in for me in a really big way. Well, so I feel like too, well, of course. And thank you. I, I think, and I think part of that is having a little bit of patience and knowing and trusting that by showing up, that by continuing to put it out there, you know, I think of like you said, when you're shifting your, the ways that you're thinking and we're, you know, we're kind of coupling spiritual awakening with faith transition, because that's kind of what it was for us. But for other people, they may be having a spiritual awakening within their religion and they might be just right. deepening their faith. And so that's built in. But for those of us that did have to go out, there is a point where I think I'm still friends with a lot of my friends who are Mormon, but Course, and yeah. we can actually speak a lot more openly now. But when I was going through that process of kind of refragmenting and that just where you're stretching and growing and and throwing things away, it was just not a good time <laughs> to go to them and be like, this is what's happening because it's triggering. You have to kind of know your audience. 
And yeah, so it's really about, uh, the, the other thing he says is giving of ourselves. We give the gift of ourselves to those around us. And I think, you know, religion does this well because there's like service organizations kind of built in to most, but there's mm-hmm. all kinds of ways to, to give back. And the truth is, you know, we're all, we're all awakened. We all have the capacity to connect. We all have the capacity to grow and to, there's nobody's, you know, it's all those cliche things like nobody's more special than anybody else. Um, but it's true, right? It's, he says, the gardens call us the little flowers of life are the rain of heaven, nourishing us and everyone. And without our inner garden honored and cared for the world we live in is indeed, can indeed be depressing. So, so recognizing that there are solutions to these things and to lean into it, lean into the growth. Well, and like the word itself of wake awakening, like it's waking up. It's not it doesn't say that like, oh, you have this lack and have to become something different. It's like, no, you're just changing states of wakefulness. Mm-hmm. Like all, we're all at these various levels of like awareness and consciousness. And so it's something that's there. It's it's a remembering, it's a shedding, and it's a remembering of like what is. And it's like finding new ways to think about things that are all around us. So with that, you guys, we're going to wrap it up this week in reference to our full moon, our full moon uh, topic at the top of the, of the episode. Uh, and you can, you can look at episodes 37 and 38 with Lisa Lister, where she talks about moving in harmony with your own personal moon cycle, as well as the moons. And uh, we've got a newsletter like Amy mentioned. So if you are interested in getting more information from the intentionists, we send it once a month. And we offer tips on, you know, we, we recap some of our, our episodes and we're going to be offering tips on how to create more earth-based ritual and um, grounding practices into your daily life. So with that, thank you guys so much for joining us. If you, we would also love to know how the moon is affecting you, what you think about our podcast, whatever and anything you want to send to us. So let us know on Facebook on the Instagram, <laughs> on the Instagram, on the gram, or email us at theintentionist at gmail.com. Love you guys. Thanks again for joining us. Before we part, we'd like to say thanks for listening, and we hope you'll connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We would love to hear from you and appreciate all feedback, shares, and likes. To learn more and subscribe to our newsletter, visit intentionists.com. And no matter where you are or what you're creating, we send you love and invite you to breathe and begin. See you next week.